0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Samuel Adams Returns. Those anti-federalists absolutely did get it correct. Civil war. We hear it more and more on the media, all the talking heads, whether they're the so-called conservative talking heads, whomever. Civil war. It's all about civil What's going to happen down there in Texas if we can't secure that border? There's going to be civil war. No, that's not what we're really seeing. Thankfully... The governors that are getting engaged, especially those that physically went to Texas, understand federalism. They understand the proper way to approach redress and remonstrances according to the Constitution. And that takes us into a continuation uh, on part two of the church and state theological polity all muddled, as I'll say it. That is a tongue twister, as well as it's a tongue twister in what is happening today. We have so much that is bouncing off the walls that I don't think anybody uh, has any sense of stability about it unless your stability— is understood through the sovereignty of the Creator and King of the Universe. So if you go to the newsletter, I talk about it in somewhat this way, is that, you know, what's happening on the borders and more. I've got a lot of links in there for you at samueladamsreturns.net so that you can look at the specifics to which I am addressing this program this week. And when we're looking at these rumblings of civil war, it drives back to what has happened in the church and state and their theological polity. I will always preface that even within government, within the state, within your political parties, there is a religious affiliation. But it's what religion? Whose religion? Who is their God? Well, I want to finish up Mayhew today because Mayhew does what a lot of people would think is flip-flopping. I don't consider it that at all. But uh, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about it in respect of what is occurring in our present in particular. But as we go through the beginning again and staying focused on this whole idea of civil war uh, there's a great article in, that I want you to go take a look at. It's linked there at samueladamsreturns.net for the newsletter for this week, and it's written by a John Kudla. He lays it out. And, and I'm going to take a moment right here to to give even more than what he has to say, is that our citizenry has no realistic clue of the fundamentals of God-given rights, They don't understand. Mayhew talks about this. He delves into what it means to understand these God-given rights and to preserve them, to preserve them. We don't even know how to really preserve them. We think everything's in automatic mode based on the constitution of the federal constitution and the state constitutions and all these people we elect. But you have to understand those that are bellowing and blowing in the wind are humanist, Humanist statist. The majority of those that are elected to office are humanist statist, and maybe some that are humanist conservatives. But where are those that are actually operating? with an understanding of the true sovereignty of God over all, as it was in the founding era, as it was in what Mayhew, and then we'll get into Styles and into a couple weeks down the road, what it had from Francis Schaeffer in relationship to applying the living God in every aspect of our life. So anyway, when we look at this and we look at rights are relativistic right now. They're, they blow in the wind as well. And we have no moral order. And so this is what is the disaster. Now, there's a few, granted. And there's a, a, a good few number of pastors out there that really get it. And there's a few politicians. Bureaucrats, I'm not so sure about. You know, I, I, I haven't engaged in a lot of the various leadership and bureaucracies that understand God's sovereignty over what they do and how they should execute in their offices. They're all muddled up, if you will. Therefore, unlike citizens during our founding era— Our indigenous U.S. citizens, that means those that were born and living here now in this century, we're not talking about those that were there at the founding here, I'm talking about our present era indigenous citizens, they aren't prepared for civil war, don't even understand what it means to defend the republic, let alone what it means to defend from political enemies and enemies that have been invading our border. There's another article there that links for you in the newsletter, and that's the in this week's news articles resource number two. Very good article about the invasion that people don't care about. So let me take it a couple more minutes on this before we get into Mayhew and what he may have brought together without even thinking about it on the doctrine of a lesser magistrate and so on, is that, once again, citizenry doesn't really care about the invasion because all they care about is the Super Bowl game. All they care about is frivolity. All they care about is sitting on the couch drinking a beer or whatever else is a distractor from understanding what it would mean to actually stand up and fight for our rights. Now, there's a minority, a lot of people that listen to this program, a lot of people that do take time to get engaged, that are involved in other areas of standing for liberty, those fighting within the schools, those fighting for children, those taking and working hard. And when I mean fighting, I mean that they're engaged with all of their being, with all of their finances, with all of their talking as well, their understanding of the foundational principles of truth beginning with God's Word and being able to apply those. There's a lot of folks that are out there, and I know quite a few of them that are doing that, but that's— small percentage, what, two, maybe three, at most, five percent that are actually engaged in that manner. Now, we see this movement, I guess it's called the MAGA movement, it is called the MAGA movement, we see in thousands and thousands of people showing up, but the reality of that is how many are then going and engaging through the whole process as is required to maintain this constitutional republic and the republics of your states? I don't know. I don't know that answer. You know, it's all fun to get all hyped up at a rally or that. But what does it mean to go home and then put your big boy pants on and go write letters, make phone calls, visit what you're elected, go to the various meetings that are out there that you can attend. And then on this whole Civil War thing as well, my prayer is that we don't have some people that are so emotionally wrapped up in everything. They're wrapped up in all of the hype. They're wrapped up in their frustrations that they do stupid actions. I think one of the most well-done and properly acted out, trusted type of rally, if you will, are all the truckers and people that went down to Texas in support of Texas and standing strong at the border. They organized such that they made sure that they had voices that were loud and clear, but they were also respectful of, of how the system functioned, and respectful for law enforcement and all others that were there to protect the towns and even the illegals. One other thing I want to mention, well, let me finish that thought first, is that we need to be well organized, we need to act accordingly, and we need to act in the wisdom of the knowledge of how we can protest, how we can make our voices heard, and that it's done in a manner that then we have a voice of persuasion. You don't look like a bunch of yahoos out there. In the early days of the Tea Party movement, that worked well. But then, as I mentioned in a couple other programs, the Tea Party movement got infiltrated by the leftists and did a fabulous job of doing that to the extent that it's fundamentally ineffective and to the point that they're using a lot of the tactics, if you will, a lot of the mechanisms by which the Tea Party was successful. The enemy is now using those to be successful in destroying the country. It's well documented out there. Anyway, my last point in this in the last couple of minutes is I'm, unfortunately, chewing up the time until we get into Mayhew, is that just because, and this this one really gets me, just because there's so many millions of guns out here in the United States, I think that all of the gun control people are absolutely stupid, foolish idiots because they don't even have to worry about taking guns away. The majority of the gun owners in America do not have a capacity to stand up against anything. They just they just don't have the capacity to do that. And what I mean by that is that, okay, the majority of them can go out shooting or they go to the range or they do this or do that. But if you take a look at the majority of them as well, they got the pot bellies because the rest of the time they sit on their duffs. They're not in physical shape to do anything. Where you have these 20-year-olds from China and other jihadists coming into the country who are rip-snorting in shape, do you think that a million guns out there or more in the hands of fat, sloppy, beer drinking, football watching, basketball watching, sitting in the stands doing nothing? are going to be able to get out on a field to take on well-trained enemy troops that are inside this nation? Nah, nah, not, a, not in your slightest imagination. It's not like the movies. We don't train anymore. We don't establish what it means to have a constitutional civil society that is well-trained in understanding our Second Amendment. It's not going to be our National Guards. Our Army may even turn against us because they're going to be putting illegals into our military. So think about that. Noodle on that as we begin to move into what is going on with the rest of Mayhew and the sermon that he preached after the repeal of the um, Stamp Act. And think about what Stiles has to say These events have been so ordered as to become a display of retribution and sovereignty. For while the good and evil hitherto felt by this people have been dispensed in the way of exact national retribution, their ultimate glory and honor will be of the divine sovereignty. With and, quote, not for your sakes do I do this, saith the Lord, be it unknown to you, but, For mine holy name's sake. See you in the next segment. Welcome back to the second segment. I left off quickly with a quote from Stiles that we'll talk about next week. But it's very important to understand that when the Constitution was put into formation and uh, Stiles was asked to preach, about that and this constitution in the time that he preached was actually the first Constitution in America, the Articles of Confederation. And everything that happened, so we're gonna see Mayhew talks about very much the same is that what happens in the salvation of a nation, as it did in the repeal of the Stamp Act, and then the winning of the civil war which is called the revolution against great britain which in fact it was a civil war if you go back and you read that article that i am pointing you to at the website you'll see that in that civil war here it was an act of god and at that time he did it for his glory his holy namesake everything he does Even allowing the evils that are upon us, he does it for his namesake. And if a people aren't going to glorify him, we see this over and over, even in the Old Testament with what happens in Israel. If they're not given the glory to God, then ultimately the judgment comes. And this nation is under judgment for all of the humanistic evil that is out there and which are our leaders and the globalists so let me take you through and uh, it's necessary to note this uh, that Mayhew wrote and I'm not going to get into a lot of quotations I'm just going to go through all the summaries that I have in particulars and trying to uh, tie the the points back to what's happening in America right now but what Mayhew did is he took a lot of time uh, in the middle portion of the sermon for reconciliation of the colonists to the king and parliament. And then he moves and devo- develops uh, the following uh, within the sermon. He goes this way, and this is critical for us to understand, because we, we don't have the same connection and same understanding of liberty and truth as Our founding fathers did, and the people in particular, the general civilization in America, all the people, well, not all, the majority of the people, well, even Benjamin Franklin said it was was just about the majority, had the fundamentals of the truth like this, quote, let none suspect that, because... I thus urge the duty of cultivating a close harmony with our mother country, and a dutiful submission to the king and parliament, our chief grievances being redressed, I mean to dissuade people from having just concern for their own rights or legal constitutional privileges. History, one may presume to say, affords no example of any nation, country, or people long free who did not take some care of themselves and endeavor to guard and secure their own liberties. Power is of a grasping, encroaching nature in all beings, except in him to whom is emphatically belongeth and who is the only king that in a religious or moral sense, can do no wrong. So he's referring to the king of kings. Power aims at extending itself and operating according to mere will, wherever it meets with no balance, check, control, or opposition of any kind, for which reason it will always be necessary, as was said before, for those who would preserve and perpetuate their liberties to guard them with a wakeful attention and in all righteousness, just and prudent ways to oppose the first encroachments of them, obsta principius obstacles to principles. After a while, it will be too late." For in the states and kingdoms of this world, it happens as it does in the field or church, according to well-known parable, to this purpose that while men sleep, then the enemy cometh and soweth tares, which cannot be rooted out again till the end of the world without rooting out the wheat with them. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in that real predicament right now. And everything that he says, if you just digest all of this, is that there is the mechanisms that we have within our constitutions, both state and federal, the mechanisms of free speech, the ability to take and go and petition the government to remonstrate, to take and plea our cases and causes in a just manner in a manner that then takes and ensures that the voices are heard and that it's within the context of the Constitution and even some framework of law. Because we do know that there are a lot of laws that are unconstitutional. We know that the bureaucracies in particular are absolutely unconstitutional in many and much of what they do. But what he says is that if I encourage you, or I have encouraged you, and he took a lot of time to encourage, which I always do as well, is to utilize the mechanisms that are in place through what I will call the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, is to get involved with those elected officials at the lowest level, to assist them in taking and going up, if you will, the chain of command to take and say, no, you can't do this. You need to pull a check on this. You need to stand against these evils that are either unlawful or are unconstitutional. But at the same time, here's the key points where we're not at. We're just not there because nobody really has taught our citizens about the truths of liberty, the deep-rooted truths, so that you're not just out there blabber-mouthing, Okay. What he is getting to is understanding that in history, it it just is out there, that any country or people or nation is not going to be free for long if you don't take care of yourself. And we've seen now that the power is grasping, it encroaches, it emphatically takes everything that it can. We're seeing that. We're living it. And we have been especially with the COVID insanity, especially with what's going on with the oligarchs, the internationalists, the globalists. So we need to drive to this. What are those liberties? How do they function? How do they operate? How do we stand on them? And how do we properly then engage our rights and protect our rights so that, as he says, when they go away, they go away forever. John Adams talked about that as well. Once you lose your freedoms or your liberties, they're pretty much gone forever. All right, so I wanted just to touch real quick also on a uh, couple of other articles that are down there in reference to this, is that uh, when we look at that an internal document that was obtained— uh, that the CBP or the you know the Border Patrol, Customs Border Patrol source proves that DHS is aware of illegals coming through the Darien Gap not seeking asylum. That's not what they're coming through for. We know that. So even DHS knows that. So we also what I referred you to is that uh, when the stealth invasion of America goes mainstream, nobody cares about it. Nobody cares. That's You know, more important about the Super Bowl game than it is about the invasion that's happening right now. Also, when we take and we look at the debacles that are out there that are stripping our liberty and forcing us, which is against our liberties and freedom, is that there's an article here about Ford's electric vehicle efforts are dragging down profits by a whopping 50%. But they don't care. Because the government is insistent on telling us what we can and cannot have. That's against our liberties. That's against our freedoms. That's exactly the type of points and principles that Mayhew was saying we have to stand up against. New York Governor Kathy Hochul, she's fact-tracking proposals that would allow illegal immigrants to take American jobs without question. She's doing that. And then when you have squatters that take over 1,200 homes in Atlanta, they can't do anything about it because of the way that the laws are written. Anyway, there's more there. Uh, There's something there that's going to shock you in regards to the presidential immunity and the analysis of what happened with that in the circuit court. And this is from a site that I follow called Lawfare where they know that the law is being used against we, the people, I encourage you to go look at those. All right, let's jump down here and go through some of the highlights that I want to go through with uh, mayhu There's a lot. I mean, he he just nails it. He had these whole apprehensions in there about the potentials of a civil war. He talks about that. He refers to those that are good within the leadership, no, no different than some of the Freedom Caucus, if you will, and some of those people that are standing up. You can look at them no different than what was happening in this letter as William Pitt and what he did, and he stood up for the colonies, and he even described you know, what would be the horrors of a civil war if that was to occur. So we need to take and understand that we do have people in Congress and a couple in the Senate that will stand up for our rights. He takes and he then goes through the whole idea of the satanic despotism that wants to destroy all that is foundational for liberty that comes from a biblical perspective and point of view. He talks about these these painful apprehensions that are there and of how a great military force would come in to uh, put subjugation on the people in relationship to the Stamp Act. So what we're having here now is an invasion of what's going to happen with all these Chinese and jihadists that are coming into this country. He takes and he reminds us of the circumstances of what happened during the Stamp Act. But now that it has been repealed, he definitely pushes the citizenry to look at giving God all of the gratitude. Those efforts, based on man and humanism, they, they were very difficult to overcome. But from the likes of Whitfield that was there and spoke to the likes of Pitt and others, the repeal did come about. So what he even mentioned, he talked about this being as a revolution, a glorious change, and how great then is our obligation to the supreme governor of the world for it. He's the one that Gave beauty for ashes, oil for gladness of the Spirit. He's the one that turned the groans into song and mourning into dancing. He put off the cloth, which we don't do anymore, and he brought on gladness. So when it comes to looking at overcoming and when evil is overcome, it all needs to be given to the glory of God for his purposes. We need to see that. But does our citizenry understand sovereignty? Come on back for the last segment. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this last segment. and We're going to get right into it. You know, where you are, what you're listening to, and who I am. So in going back and talking about Mayhew and what he was trying to bring people back into some sense of reconciliation, he really clearly discusses the uh, colonial charters and his assumption that they gave parliament greater power than what the colonists interpreted that power to be. He gave them that where they had the ability to tax, and but they needed to have some kind of checks and control, which they didn't have. They were doing a lot without any representation being there in Parliament itself. So he even looked at the value proposition that the colonies had for Great Britain and its growth rate. And they was talking about within a century, the subjects will be thrice the number of those in Great Britain. So number one, how's Great Britain going to control a population that would be three times Great Britain itself. How were they going to give representation within parliament? And he was hoping that the colonies would keep parliament as a legislative body because he didn't want to see any type of civil war. He didn't want to see that separation. So he laid it out for the colonists in two courses, one regarding the right to complain, petition, and redress. And then the second is to assert natural rights. Now, although he was talking about the divine right of the king and that parliament had you know, great authority or sh- based on charter even, you have to remember that the charters were torn up and rewritten uh, by the king, With Parliament a couple of times, and so it changed. But he holds in here that you need to take and claim the common rights and all privileges as such with plainness and freedom. And he goes on to talk more about that and explain that. We have to look at that in the context for us in America, is that we have our loyalties— to our Constitution, we have our loyalties to the state Constitution. And remember, please, and this is where a lot of people are so confused, you are a citizen of your state first and foremost. And because of our federal, federalism republic, the states are a part of of a federal government. Now, that wasn't true with the British constitution or loose constitution via the Magna Carta. It was all encompassed under the king and the and how he was the overseer of all that was within the realm of Great Britain. But that's the difference is the president is not the king. He is not over everything. The administration is not over everything. Congress is not even truly over everything, but they have assumed all of that because we, the people, have given it to them. We're here. What we have is Mayhew saying, hold on to your rights. And then what was different here? in this sermon about the Stamp Act, which helped persuade the changes, is that Great Britain needed the merchants in America, and they were taking and standing with the people, whereas now our commerce, our great commerce, our great business leaders are not standing for or with America. They are with the internationalist. They don't care about American trade as long as they can have global trade. They don't care about what it really means for we, the people, to have the capacity to do for ourselves within our states and within our nation. They want to look at how they can run things and have commerce across that distributed global environment. Mayhew takes it on again and he says, you know what, as I mentioned at the first segment, that you got to stand for your rights. He calls for national unity, Mayhew does, but at the same time, he continues to develop the rationale as to why remaining connected to Great Britain is in the best interest of both the colonies and Great Britain. But then he comes to a breaking point. He comes to that breaking point where he finally determines and says in his position that you got to stand up for those rights. You have to be able to stand for your God-given rights. Secure those liberties. Define those liberties. Understand what they mean. Now, what we don't teach and I'll probably spend a little bit more time here that I think it's important, is that in this particular section, he comes around to the doctrines of civil liberties. Where do they come from? What is a doctrine of civil liberty? It's a mess out there now. You have the liberals going off on all these different rants. You have the so-called conservatives trying to explain all of the stuff, and they're gibberish all the time. But what are the fundamental doctrines of liberty, not even looking at the Constitution. He puts it this way, respecting my notions of liberty in general, such as they are, shall follow, having been initiated in youth. So number one, we don't do that anymore. We do not initiate our children in the doctrines of civil liberty as he was, as they were taught by such men as Plato. Demonstinus Cicero, and other renowned persons among the ancients. We don't do anything in teaching our youth, even at the collegiate level. There's no instruction, no initiation into these principles of liberty. And then he talks about such people as Sidney. Algernon Sidney, you can go back and Listen to me talk about Algernon Sidney in other of the programs. In fact, in this argument here, in this sermon, he mentions Filmer, Her Sidney argued against, where Filmer was for the what? Can you remember? He was for the divine right of the king, where Sidney was against it and argued against it, as did Milton, Locke, and Hoadley who he calls are among the moderns. Our moderns now don't even have the principles of Sidney Milton or Locke, let alone Hoadley. Mayhew goes, I liked them. They seemed rational. We don't have political leadership that is rational. Political leadership is about manipulating and moving power now. How does this group hold power over that group, and how do you obtain it and retain it? And how do you fund it? That's not the principles of liberty. Having earlier still learned from the holy scriptures that wise, brave, and virtuous men are always friends to liberty. Where is that being taught in churches? Where is that being heard from in the pulpits? I know of a few places. I should put some links together for you. Maybe I'll do that next week. I'll put some links together for you on the, the, the uh, YouTube videos, the sites, you know, the places that you can go to hear this preached, to hear this understood, and that the Scriptures themselves. And he said earlier, so from a youth, he was understanding wise brave, and virtuous men are always friends to liberty. He talks about what happened in Israel and that they were given a king in God's anger. Israel got a king. You got to remember that God was always the king of Israel, but they wanted a king like other tribes out there, other nations. He gave them one, sure turned out to be a bad deal for them, wasn't it? So when they walked away from that virtue, and when Saul walked away, King Saul walked away from any good sense, everything went kabut, wars, destruction, destruction of the nation, falling into idolatry. So you need to clearly understand, and this is scriptural, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Jesus identifies that Paul identifies that where Christ is you have liberty and that that freedom is there now we need to understand that now that's the biggest difference and this is where I'm you have to go through the rest of the sermon but at the same time when I talked about and I opened about are we really ready for civil war here in America the answer is absolutely not because we have no mindset we have no Christian biblical cultural vision of liberty, as did the people here he he talks about you know how, how God worked in this firstborn Christ from heaven, and then what we look at is that that we in his prayer and Mayhew is this prayer that we can long reside amongst us, that he would that God would long reside among. colonies here in America. The delight of the wise, the good and the brave. Is he? Do we have the good and the brave, that delight in him? The protection of innocence from wrongs and oppression. Uh, We don't have that. We have all the sex trafficking. We have all the drugs that are destroying our youth. I was just reading about here in Ohio, we have seven major gangs, and they use kids here because the kids don't get heavily prosecuted, so they're using the kids to deliver all their drugs. Where are the protections of innocence? Where's the patron's true patrons, biblical patrons of learning, arts, eloquence, virtue, rational loyalty, intestine quarrels, that's internal squabbles, and other vices were rude. And there's such an uncertainty about what will happen in our environment. He did that comparison about the difference between the colonies who were settled and had that understanding of the wisdom, the virtue of a biblical idea of liberty, whereas they were losing that on the continent. I talk about that all the time. I've talked about it in other programs where that was a ploy to how to destroy the colonies was by bringing them into frivolity, to giving them the luxury to get them engaged in debauchery and other vices yeah that was the plan it's worked over all these years and that's where we're at well ladies and gentlemen when it finishes off once again you can read the whole sermon for yourself but the bottom line is there's no way that we have anybody in this country that is actually ready mentally physically and most importantly, spiritually, for anything to do with a civil war. No, we must preserve federalism, support every one of those constitutional lesser magistrates that are standing up against the federal government, as Sam Adams did against Great Britain. See you next week.